0: Welcome to the No Guilt Mom Podcast. I'm your host Joanne Crone, joined
1: here by my delightful co-host Brie Tucker. What? Well, hello, hello, everybody. How's everybody's pumpkin morning going? Pumpkin morning. Oh, it's still oh the fall. Pumpkin. It's still fall, so team I'm going to be pushing this caramel team uh, caramel. I like. Okay, I'll do team caramel if you got apple.
0: Okay, got. We got to be like apple make pie. pie work. Is, it's still fall. We can make that work. Yeah. I'm willing to uh, negotiate <laughs> on this. <laughs> Well, this podcast episode, it is a conversation like I was so excited to have uh, I know Dr. Tracy Baxley. She was actually introduced to us by Sarah Dean of the Shameless Mom Academy podcast. Yes. Shout out to Sarah. And we're so grateful uh, because Tracy's written this amazing book called Social Justice Parenting. And it's all about how to raise kids to be compassionate, anti-racist and justice minded. And the conversation we get into is very, very, I want to say vulnerable. I was able to talk with her about a lot of, I think many people have these insecurities about talking about race, especially white people, because we were never
1: told how to talk about race. Yeah, we were told just to, our generation, I feel like was told to ignore color. It's it was. not there. It was. And, and that, that doesn't really help. It it doesn't. And so
0: Tracy has some great strategies, things that I actually used on my own kids right away, which I'll tell you about after the interview. So Dr. Tracy Baxley, she's a professor, consultant, parenting coach, speaker, mother to five biracial children, and the creator of the Social Justice Parenting Program, and author, as we said before, of Social Justice Parenting, How to Raise Compassionate, Anti-Racist, Justice-Minded Kids in an Unjust World. She's been an educator for over 30 years with degrees in child development, Elementary education, and curriculum and instruction. We hope you enjoy our conversation with Tracy. As my daughter's getting older, I mean, she's almost 13, she's starting to make her own plans with friends and checking in with us all the time to see if we're busy. But we haven't had a way for her to check our calendars at the same time, and so I was so excited to find Cozy.
1: Yes. You know what it sounds like? I smell some uh, some life skills here being learned with Cozy.
0: Definitely, because she's learning to be considered at other people's schedules. She can see the entire family's schedule in the app, and it's all on the shared color-coded calendar, and Cozy even reminds others about events. So, like, me as a mom and my husband, we don't have to do the reminders anymore anymore
1: I love that especially because like when it comes down to my kids asking my permission like hey do we have time to do this like just look at the calendar people yeah just look at the calendar just look at the calendar so this is all free in cozy just
0: download cozy from the app store that's c-o-z-i to get the free app today you want mom life to be easier that's our goal too Our mission is to raise more self-sufficient and independent kids, and we're going to have fun doing it. We're going to help you delegate and step back. Each episode, we'll tackle strategies for positive discipline, making our kids more responsible and making our lives better in the process. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Tracy. We are so excited to have you here and talk about your book because like not only is it such an important issue, but you are an amazing storyteller.
2: Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here.
0: We were just talking beforehand about one of the chapters, like one of the first chapters in your book and Bree was left on a cliffhanger and yes! wanted to know.
1: The whole time I'm reading it, I'm like, go back to the story. <laughs> what happens? <laughs> what happens? And you answer it. But I I get a little impatient.
2: (laughs) Yes, the cliffhangers. There's a couple of them in there.
0: So can you tell us a little bit about
2: you and your story? Yeah. So I am a mother of five. That is my biggest role. And I am married to my fourth grade friend. We've been together for 23 years, 25 years dating. I grew up in a very, when I was young, in a very maybe like insulated black community. And when I was in fourth grade, the summer of fourth, third and fourth grade, we moved to a city where I was the only black child. And I had to kind of learn what that felt like and what that looked like and finding my place where I belonged and all of that. And I think those experiences as a young child has kind of Created this person in me who always feels like they have to find belonging for everybody, and so I think those experiences led to my desire to be an educator and always drifting toward those children who look like they were left out in some way. I'm finding space for them, and so it's a natural progression to the work that I'm doing now with supporting parents and creating safe spaces for their children and finding and raising children with. Lots of compassion and lots of ways to create belonging in the world. So I think the story that I'm telling really is a progression of um, that really had kind of brought me to the space where I am right now.
0: I, I love that. And I love how early childhood experiences so impact us as adults and inform the work we do and the desire to do the work we do. And reading in your book about your experiences as a teacher and the stuff that you you did for the quote unquote bad kids. And we talked earlier how those bad kids aren't bad necessarily, but they just need that love and they need that belonging that you talked about.
1: It just, it seems so counterintuitive to me. I mean, like it think about like your own child, right? When somebody describes your child as Badly behaved or badly mannered. You typically take that personally because you know that your kid is a, a good kid deep down. And just because you see another child that misbehaves or whatever, thinking that they're doing it because they want to have people yell at them, they want to be in trouble. Like there's something else, there's some other need that they need to have be met. Mm-hmm and just pausing, taking a moment and showing that child the compassion that you would want someone to show your own child,
2: right? Mm -hmm. Right. There's always something at the root of those kinds of behaviors that we see when children are acting out. And this, again, like you say, Brie, it's about uh, taking the time to kind of unravel and unpack what those things are, so that you can get at the core of who the child really is. And um, that was something that That was very important to me as a teacher and also, you know, as a parent, I try to bring those same qualities and skills and passions as I'm raising my own children.
0: I've been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs even on busy mornings and oh my gosh has it been busy lately and that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day every day and it makes me feel energized. Even like I still add the coffee on there because I like it a lot. AG1 tastes really good too. And I enjoy my glass every single morning. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com forward slash M. That's drinkag1.com forward slash NGM. Check it out.
3: Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them
0: So in your book, Tracy, Social Justice Parenting, uh, you talk about this difference between raising a good person and being a good quote unquote person and someone who is pro-justice. And many parents raise good kids, but what's the distinguishing thing between raising a good kid and a kid who is pro-justice?
2: Yeah, this is a question that comes up a lot because I have many clients that come to me, mostly moms, mostly white moms who want to start raising their children to be anti-racist or to be more proactive. And a lot of their partners are not really understanding what they want and what their needs are because they think just we're raising good people. That's all that counts. That's what we need to be doing. I don't think there's anything wrong with raising good people. I mean, it's teaching your children to be nice to others, to treat others fairly. But I also think that raising good people is kind of like the safe route. And I think in some ways it aligns with what I consider fear-based parenting. And I think the difference between really being a good person and being a pro-justice is really the action piece. So being a good person is a little bit passive, being pro-justice, it requires you to be more knowledgeable about the realities of, that's going on in the world. It makes you have to think more about how your family is impacted by the things that are going on in the world. I um, mean, it's raising children who are empathetic, who, who are courageous, and who are active. I think generally raising good people teaches children to do no harm, right? But raising pro-justice children is raising children to intercede when harm is being done. So these are your allies, your activists, your agitators, your anti-racists. These are the people who are going to really be change makers in the world. And those are the people that I want to raise, right? Those are the children who we are thinking about raising when we start talking about social justice parenting.
1: I think that's a really, really good point because I know that when I'm teaching my children, like, let's just pick a really easy topic that so many of us are talking about these days, like bullying, right? When I teach my children, you're nice to others. You don't call other people names. You're not a bully. What does a bully look like? And like, we talk about those kinds of things. I don't think I've ever really said to them, and this is what you do when you see somebody bullying somebody else or ask them that question. What do you do when you see somebody bullying someone else? Like I think that's a really really important point. Like we've told them all like don't do this, don't be that way. But have we really taken the time to show them like how do you help someone that's going through that situation? How do you stand up? What are the words you say? What are the actions you take other than go tell an adult? Okay, that's a fair point, mm-hmm.
0: the actions you take, but I also there's only so much like lip service we can give to our kids and telling them what to do. Like we have to show it ourselves and like what we're doing. And a lot of us as parents, like I'm speaking from my perspective as a white woman. And we talked about this before the interview, I've been really uncomfortable talking about race and especially last summer. Like I felt like my eyes were kind of opened up as to how uncomfortable race as an issue to me as a white woman was because We were told, like I was told, like, you don't see color, you don't don't notice race. And that, like, as you mentioned in your book, can you talk a little bit about how that you don't see color comment is harmful?
2: Yeah, I think one of the scenarios I gave in my book was when I was going to like this women wellness retreat, and I'm always a little bit skeptical, not skeptical, but mindful when I go into these spaces, because I'm traditionally the only black. Person in there. And so at the end of this retreat, I, you know, we went around the room talking about, you know, one thing that we thought about or that moved us some way during the retreat. And I just uh, was offering gratitude about feeling safe in the space and comfortable in the space. And as a Black woman, how I always am a little bit on edge when I first started in spaces like that. And then the woman next to me said, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize you were Black until you said it. And so, you know, obviously with the work that I do, I immediately wanted to go and correct that for her, but I didn't know whether it was really the place or space. So when we came back the next month, I said, you know, I know when you say that your intentions are good, but when you deny seeing me, You also deny my story, my lived experiences, the things that are challenging for me as a black woman in the society. And I need you to see me because not seeing me means you're not ready to deal with all of the issues that comes along with me in my black and my brown skin. So I think when we are colorblind, it's not acknowledging that there are some inequities in the world that we have to address it feels like you're silencing or you are denying people their real lived experiences. So we want to raise children who see color and know that there's differences. We want them to celebrate those differences. And we also want them to grow up being people who are going to change the practices that we have right now when it comes to race. And if we don't start talking about that and unpacking that for our children, they will grow up the same way we did, right? Not talking about race. And if we want to get past this idea of racism and treating people unfairly, it has to be something that we start to talk about.
0: When I read that in your book, and uh, we're talking about another book as well, just the whole act of seeing, seeing people's color, noticing the color of skin, saying somebody has beautiful brown skin when you're asked by your child, because as like a society, the way we've gone is like, it's improper to point out differences in other people. Right. And that's not
1: helping us at all. (sighs) Yeah. Acting like we don't see it doesn't help anything. Doesn't help you process it. Doesn't help you address it in any way.
2: Right. And then what it does is brings about this anxiety and fear in our children because their natural curiosity is to ask the questions they see. I mean, we know that they see so when we tell our kids we don't see color, it's like, huh, I do see their color, you know? Mm-hmm. And right. so what we're doing is silencing that curiosity in them so that they're not asking the questions to figure out the answers. And and kids, their natural way of figuring things out is asking questions, right? They want to know questions and they want things to be right. And if we are Always asking them to be quiet, to not ask the questions, to tell them what they see is not what they see. Like what is that teaching our children about how they're growing up, what's important to talk about, what's important to ignore? Mm-hmm. Because
0: I know with my my own like fears, the, the thing that has stopped me thus far is I'm always worried about offending somebody because that is how that's how I was raised. And that's something that I think a lot of people feel. And it's something that we need to really push through and make those kind of mistakes along the way to figure
1: out a better way of doing things. I feel like that really brings up what you were talking about, about the whole fear-based parenting. As a white mom, I'm afraid of saying something that's going to be offensive to somebody else. And so that makes me act like it doesn't exist. And that doesn't help anyone. And it doesn't teach my children the skills that they need going forward to do better, to be better. It is fear.
2: Yes. And I think fear-based parenting, I think the only way to do it, do this thing wrong is to not do it at all. Everybody's going to make mistakes. Everybody's going to not have the right answers. Listen, I'm still learning too. But if we are going to really kind of raise children who see the world differently who stand up for others, who are more inclusive, we got to start having those conversations because that fear, it drives us to try to control and control things in a way that we really are denying kids a lot of opportunities to grow. And so if we can step outside of that fear, stop protecting, start preparing our kids for the real world more, then they won't have anxiety and distress around the idea of race.
0: You had a great story in the book about you had a situation at a boot camp and how you could have really used an ally during that time. Can you share that story?
2: Yes. Yeah, so I was in a boot camp with this ex-Marine and we went uh, like two or three times a week really over the course of the summer and we had all gotten very close and really kind of knew each other well by the end and it was my girlfriend and I who were the only Black women in the group and then the last session when we were like finishing up and cleaning up the ex-marine who ran the camp asked his children to pick up all the equipment and start putting them in the bag and the daughter got up and start doing the work and the son slowly got up and you know dragging his feet and walking very slowly to help her and she said to him stop walking like a nigger." Yeah. So there was this complete silence, of course. And then all eyes turned to my girlfriend and I. And the short story is nobody said a word. Nobody spoke up. Nobody defended us. Nobody did anything. And we eventually had the conversation with the ex-Marine about what that meant, what that felt like, and what that's doing to his children, whatever. But The allyship wasn't there, and these were people that we had grown to like a lot, felt very comfortable with.
4: No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I am Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.
5: If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy.
2: Again, that's a good example of raising good people or raising pro-justice people, Mm -hmm. right? Right. So they were all good people. I mean, I cared about them, but when it was time to stand up and do the hard thing, nobody did that. And so we want to raise our children who in a moment like that, they know how to stand up for other people. Right.
0: What would have been a like good ally response in that situation? What would you have liked to see those people in the class do? Like address the kid or?
2: No, they could have addressed us first to say, I'm sorry they said that. Okay. I stand with you. That's not how we all feel. They could have said something to the ex-Marine, like we have to teach our children better, or I will make sure my kids never have this idea about who Black people are. So there could have been a few different things, but saying nothing was, again, to me, that's the only way to do it wrong. Even if you said, I know this is wrong, but I don't know what to say. Even that would have been appropriate, right? Because now I know you're open to learning and to growing, but that you felt something wasn't right enough for you to speak up.
0: It's great to hear that because in those kind of situations, I would have probably felt I would, I would have been stunned and not know what to say. And just knowing that all I had to say was I'm stunned and I don't know what to say to this comment. It gives like, it gives me an opening to then help the situation. Yeah yeah, I I read that story and I'm like, I I don't know what I would have done during that if I was in that class with you. But I'm glad to hear your story so that I know now to act differently when that situation
4: presents itself.
2: Yes. And, And I always say the idea with allyship, it's you should always be in a state of feeling uncomfortable. Like it should never feel easy. When it starts to feel easy, it means that you have grown and it's time to do more growing. So Don't let that fear of being uncomfortable stop you from growing because that's all part of the allyship. I mean, when I'm in allyship with groups like the LGBTQ community, I don't always know what to say. I'm a little uncomfortable that I'm not using the right words or that I'm not saying the right thing, but I'm not going to let it stop me from being active or being an ally in in certain situations. So I think we all are growing and learning and trying to do the right thing, but I think doing nothing is probably the only way to do it wrong.
0: Yes. Doing nothing is the only way to do it wrong. I mean, I have to, I have to admit to everyone who's listening. I am uncomfortable in this conversation right now because I'm not used to openly discussing race or anything, but um, it's just a matter of
2: pushing through. But you know what, Joanne, I, I think that's an okay place to be. And I think that's a place that you can start with your children. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't grow up talking about race in my house with grandma and grandpa, right? But I realize now I need to Do things differently with you. I'm a little uncomfortable because it's something new to me. So I would like for us to grow together and us learn together to do this better for people who are different from us. So I think you use that in a way that really supports the growth of your children in this space as well.
0: I'm going to do that. I will have that conversation with my kids on the drive
1: home today, actually. Well, and I think it's a really good point you made too, Tracy, talking about how I'm a little bit uncomfortable. I didn't talk about it this way with grandma and grandpa, because you're not saying that grandma and grandpa were bad people. You're reinforcing the whole, like, we're all good people. We just didn't know better. And now that we're knowing better, we're going to try to do better. And we're going to just continue trying to grow on that.
2: Absolutely.
1: And kind of reinforcing that thing that we're always talking about with No Guilt Mom that we are all human. We all make mistakes and we're all learning. Mm-hmm. So acknowledging that we're all trying to do better. We're all trying to get better at this at going forward. Just being honest, right?
2: Yes. Being vulnerable, open, and honest. That is so important because it teaches our children to do the same, right? And we're going to want them to be open and honest as they grow up, especially when they're teenagers. You want to, be able to establish safe space when they get older. It starts with you being open and honest when they're younger so that they see the process of that, what that looks like, what that feels like, and that you are that place that they can go to to be open and honest too.
0: Well, Tracy, this conversation has gone by way too fast for me. It's been wonderful, wonderful talking to you. Uh, What is something that you're excited about that you have coming up?
2: I think just all of the things going on with the book, I'm able to help more families. It's very exciting to me that so many families are ready to be in the space where they are raising anti-racist children. They're raising children who are pro-social justice. So the more that I can support families, I think it's very exciting to me.
0: And your book is phenomenal. I could not stop reading it. <laughs> Last night I was like up and
1: being like, no, I just had to go. I just got
2: to I know, right? Oh, so, thank you. Thanks like not so only do
1: you have a great message, you are a phenomenal writer. Social Justice Parenting, absolutely love
2: that book. It's so good. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for talking with us and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. I, I love that interview with Tracy, and I immediately put into use what we talked about in the interview about going to talk to my kids about uh, skin color and
1: discussing race. And how did that conversation go?
0: It was really interesting. I decided to do it uh, separately, so I didn't talk to them at once. And with my eight-year-old, when I said that I was raised in a way to not notice race, but, you know, People have different skin colors. He was like, yeah, of course people have different skin colors. And then he brought up questions about when his Nana was growing up in like the 60s and segregation. Mm. And so we got into that conversation. Yeah. Um, My daughter, who's 12, she, I was so surprised because she had the same thinking I did where you don't mention race, where like, say you're trying to describe someone and the other person doesn't know like who you're talking about. I would sidestep around the issue of bringing up race as a descriptor
1: because I was afraid, you know, that is, quote unquote, offensive or like noticing it because that's how we were told as kids. You know, I do agree with that. But I also think it's possible that a portion of that is and you've you've self described yourself before as like a people pleaser. Yeah. And I see your daughter being somewhat along that same realm of being so concerned about other people's feelings that sometimes we end up missing the whole thing that, they want us to be aware of.
0: Yes. So when I talked to her about that, she's like, well, that's what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to mention skin color.
1: You're not supposed. And it's interesting about that, right? Because like you said, with mm-hmm. us growing up, we weren't supposed to talk about it. But I think it comes down to it's not that we're not supposed to mention it. We're not supposed to judge people on it.
0: Yes. but it that's was a, that key factor. It was never like we were never told we weren't. what that line was we, we were just
1: told not to mention
0: it and so i think that's why these discussions are so important where we bring it up and we are like no like this like kids see color there's no right
6: area there.
1: And so we have to say like you, you have to read Social Justice Parenting. First Mm -hmm. of all, it is such a phenomenal book. It's an easy read because every page you're like, I have to see what's next. I have to see what's next. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, this is what I want to do. This is what I want my parenting to be like. Or yes, yes, I feel passionate about what she's talking about. This has to be on everybody's book club list. And she is a
0: great storyteller too. You will be gripped throughout the whole read. So we hope that you enjoyed our interview with Dr. Tracy Baxley. And remember, the best mom's a happy mom. Take care of you. And we'll see you next time. Thanks
1: for stopping by.